0: From downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term
1: perspective.
2: This is Money Talk for the 1st of March, 2024. Your Milwaukee Bucks are home Monday night with the LA Clippers, then they hit the road for a full week. And, of course, spring training continues in Arizona for the Brewers. The first beer Garden of the season pops up at Whitnall Park this weekend, and the Shamrock Shuffle is this Saturday, Consider it a warm-up to St. Patrick's Day. We have the Olympic Games, and now we have the Enhanced Olympic Games, where performance-enhancing drugs are legal. Billionaire Peter Thiel is backing a new competition labeled Doping Legal Olympics. He thinks this will level the playing field if everyone is on the same page, all on the same juice. They can probably get two-week Olympia done in three days. (laughs) To paraphrase the Eagles, there's a new stud in town. One male guinea pig in England escaped from his enclosure only to sneak into the enclosure of 100 females and now all 100 are pregnant. Guinea pigs usually have litters of four, so doing the math, there's 400 little piglets on their way. And there's one more bit of news about this stud guinea pig. His name is Randy. How poetic is that? Of course (laughs) it is. Here's my tip of the day. If you're about to collect three quarters of a million dollars from an insurance company following a car accident and you're claiming back pain, neck pain, spine, and you're unable to lift groceries or play with your kids, you shouldn't be caught on a television program winning a full-size Christmas tree throwing contest. I'm just saying. On the podcast today, we have Mike Helsel, Joel Driesen, and Steve Giles, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding.
0: Well, thanks, Max. A bit of a mixed week overall, but mostly positive. The NASDAQ up 1.7%, closing at the bell at 16.275, up 278 points this week. The S&P up 48 points. That's 9 tenths of a percent, closing at 5137 A little bit of a give back for the Dow, despite a positive Friday. Gave back 44 points this week, down one-tenth of a percent, closing at 39.087 for the year. Dow now up 4.1%, including dividends. The S&P up 8, including dividends. And the NASDAQ, a pretty stellar 8.5, just a couple of months into the year here. Mike, maybe start with the fanciful today. Um, you had uh, you'd mentioned in some of our pre-show notes that maybe you wanted to talk about Chinese astrology. And uh, as much as I know that maybe that was uh, a, a bit of a joke, I also know there's plenty of folks that look at all kinds of indicators as a way to try to say, all right, well, what happens when this thing is in play? And um, some signs, perhaps, that it's going to be a good year.
3: Sure. So all right, let's just get into it and stay with me, everybody. Um, so in chinese astrology there's three horned animals the the oxen the goat and the dragon yes dragons have horns watch hbo max um and when it is the year of one of those animals like 90 percent of the time the stock market is up and this year it's the year of the wood dragon so clearly i'm reporting this as fact i am not just kidding don't call the office um but there are some good signs kind of I have some other tidbits that show this could be a good year in the market as well. I mean, so after uh, February is about 5% or higher, uh, the market is higher five times out of the past six since 1950. Okay, so that's actual fact, you can look that one up. Um, and then you look at the S&P 500 when they are up November, December, January and February, this has happened 14 times. That calendar year of the January and February, the market is up with an average uh, return of 21.2%. Now, again, that is fact. Unlike my Chinese astrology tidbit, so thank you, Kyle, for letting me get that one in there.
0: Yeah, two truths <laughs> and a fiction, maybe there, or at least, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least, uh, you know. Again, getting the fanciful out of the way, I think uh, the the best thing I can offer in terms of client expectations for the year is that we're two months in already, and the S and P is already up eight percent. So. Uh, if you're asking, where do we finish the year? Well, we've already got an 8 per he- 8% head start on positive. So I think uh, a pretty happy place to be two months into 2024.
3: I mean, you look at a lot of people that did their, you know, end of 2023 predictions of what where the S&P 500 would be at the end of 24. A lot of people said 5,100, you know, you, and we're already at, what'd you say, 5,137? I mean, again, things could change, but we're off to a fantastic start this year.
0: And of course, Steve, I think the, the client questions then come pouring in on, well, with a market as high as it is, what do we do differently in our portfolios? I'm sure you're hearing from clients that want to know, what do these market highs mean for how we invest?
1: Yeah, you know, Kyle, I've been doing a lot of uh, trimming of winners and locking in some gains uh, for those clients that are retired and are taking uh, monthly distributions from their accounts. Uh, I think this is a fantastic time to um, peel off some of those winners from last year and make sure that the stock allocation does not get ahead of itself. Uh, Obviously, uh, we know that those primal instincts, fear and and greed, can can really drive our decisions sometimes. Uh, So resist the urge to be greedy and add more stocks, and instead use this as an opportunity to perhaps revisit your allocation and make sure that you're not... Uh, equity heavy in the portfolio.
0: So start with caution there and then maybe Steve transition to the optimism part a little bit, which is that this market rally, these new records seem to be coming on some pretty solid footing. It isn't, despite some of the headlines, just one or two businesses that are setting the tone. We're seeing some pretty broad participation now, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, we absolutely are. Uh, Most of the news has been fixated on these big seven um, uh, tech Uh, oriented companies, but we're seeing now record highs across the S&P 500 that uh, include 26% of the S&P 500. That's 126 names uh, in the S&P 500 that have set an all-time high for their stock price so far this year. And what that tells us as investors and what that tells us as advisors is that this market rally is broadening. Uh, Participation is broadening, and it means that uh, you're getting more of a level playing field as we move through this year.
0: And I was looking at some of the data behind what you were showing me on that 26% and what I thought was most revealing was that, of course, information technology stocks were up there in terms of the percentage of businesses setting new highs, but it was bigger than that. It was consumer cyclical stocks, you know, the discretionary stuff. It was nearly half of the industrials that are out there. I, mean, I think that's an important sign because last summer, summer 2023, we were talking about a manufacturing recession. Well, all of a sudden, all those industrials starting to get back towards those high water marks, starting to you know, I think, paint a picture of an economy that remains on pretty solid footing. You add in that we're kind of getting to the tail end of fourth quarter earnings releases, um, you know, just a, a small handful of names left to report. And really what's left for the next month and a half or two is now the economic data. It's what happens with the Fed, what happens with interest rates. And I think, Steve, potentially most importantly, how has the messaging shifted on rates as we look into later this year?
1: Yeah, you know, with the um, inflation numbers being somewhat stubborn, I think that um, expectation that the Fed would be lowering interest rates in the first half of the year is, is pretty much off the table. Uh, obviously, the Fed has told us now that they're going to be more data-driven uh, in, as far as their um, decision to begin lowering rates. But they have to be drop-dead positive that inflation is not going to come roaring back before they begin to lower interest rates. And as we have continued through this first part of the year um, with stubborn inflation, the Fed has continued to backpedal on their comments from December that they wanted to lower rates three times. And we're we're getting to a point where I think investors and, and economists are starting to realize that boy, may, maybe this isn't going to be something that happens uh, sooner rather than later, and, and it's not going to be until later this year that the Fed makes a decision.
3: I mean, it's one thing to remember, Mr. Dave, those are great points, that the Fed was late coming into, like starting to raise rates. By consensus, they were late, and they proceed with a lot of caution. So it's not a big leap to think that they could be, and I'll use the term late for lack of a better term, but be late in terms of lowering rates or later later than most people thought.
0: You know, I think it's one thing in a year in which rates have moved a little bit higher because of those conversations uh, to say, well, my bond portfolio has lost a little bit of money to start the year. That's not a great place to be, nothing compared to where we were back in 2022. Um, I think it's a very different point when you consider, A, that stocks are up as much as they are already. So you've offset that small amount of loss you've seen in the bond portfolio so far this year. But two... You're also talking about a rolling one year period now in which bonds have had a pretty incredible run. And so, you know, we always talk about interest rates as kind of one of the critical components in how do our bonds look going forward. Higher rates obviously temporarily hurt the underlying prices of the bonds we already own. I think the best news I can offer is the further out we push the potential for rate cuts. The longer interest rates stay high, the longer we as bond investors benefit from those higher rates because at the end of the day, all we can expect from our fixed income, all we can expect from our bonds is the yield that's available to us within, you know, the, the confines of the interest rate environment. And so higher rates just means that the opportunity set's gonna stay a little stronger for longer. It also means that, you know, when I look at a bond market that maybe an aggregate is down one, one and a quarter percent this year. I'm not overly concerned. I think the the volatility of the 10-year Treasury has been a little higher than what some people are uh, expecting if the idea is, well, rates are going to be cut. And so eventually all those interest rates have to come down. But I think, you know, the bigger picture here is that it just means that there's more opportunity for bond investors now for longer.
1: Yeah. And and when you... um Go back to our comments earlier, Kyle, talking about perhaps paring back some winners on the stock market. What a fantastic entry point for uh, fixed income to not only improve uh, your income but also add some duration at a time when uh, we're talking about uh, uh, bonds perhaps offering something for investors to complement what they have in equities.
0: And I think important to point out that rates on even the very safest treasuries out there are far, far outpacing the rate of inflation. Uh, And if the expectation is that inflation does continue to come under control, it's uh, up and down month to month, but longer term, the direction has been positive. Well, that real return, right, the after inflation uh, return on fixed income looks that much more attractive. And so, uh, again, I think all the opportunity in the world right now to say, yeah, there's some really great deals to be had in stocks. There's some really uh, encouraging things out there from an economic perspective that should drive long-term growth. Um, and at the same time, the competition from the fixed income side is pretty strong. You know, Joel, it was a pretty big week for economic earnings, not just by volume, but by you know the significance of some of the things that came out you know, a revision on fourth quarter GDP, which painted, I think, a pretty similar story to what we already knew. Um, But then a pile of things after that, that kind of have uh, continued to say, well, okay, strong enough, but signs of slowing.
4: Right. Yeah. So the uh, fourth quarter GDP was uh, revised down to 3.2% on an annual basis. And uh, before that, the, the, Bureau of Economic Analysis had figured that it was moving at about three point3 percent that's down from four point nine percent in the third quarter um, so it's uh, again getting slower now um, some of the reasons for that slower revision was was uh, maybe a good thing because um, one of the things that the the uh, feds did was they said well um, there there weren't as many uh, there wasn't as much inventory buildup as we thought and that's something that, helps the GDP in the short run. But in the long run, you know, if you've got too many things stockpiled, then that impacts production later on. Um, But the other thing was that uh, they said that the uh, consumer spending went up and that that was more brisk than they had originally thought. Um, But again, that's for the fourth quarter, okay? So that's for the last three months of of 2023. Uh, We got the report after that on consumer spending for the month of January, and um, it was minimal. It was 0.2% increase in spending. Some of that is because you know uh, people were spending a lot during the holidays, and then they don't spend as much the month after the holidays but um there were signs there that uh, that consumers might be cutting back they they might be st- again they're still spending which is good, important for the economy, but they're not going as whole hog. Um, And then we had two reports this week on consumer confidence and consumer sentiment. Both of those were trimmed back. Both of those consumers said, um, you know, we're still pretty okay with the way things are going. We still see the economy growing. We're feeling better about inflation, which has been the major concern. um, But we're just not as robust about how we feel toward things.
0: And, you know, the consumer is such a critical piece, not just in uh, the economy more broadly, but also in those inflationary expectations. If they're expecting high inflation, it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy because you spend more today if you think that prices tomorrow are going to be higher. Yeah, I'll spend a little more even on credit because tomorrow it's going to cost me 10% more. Well, if the expectation is now that inflation is going to come back down, that serves the reverse, right? It helps some of that spending to maybe be pushed off a month or two because you aren't as concerned that prices are going to continue to run out of control.
4: And with consumer spending being the main driver of our economy, that's what the Fed's been going after. They've been trying to to cut down the economic growth so that inflation isn't as high. And remember, in mid-2022, we were at 7% inflation. Um, This report Uh, for uh, that we got on on Thursday showed that inflation year to year is down to 2.4 percent still above what the feds want but that's a lot closer to 2 percent than it is to to 7 percent and um that it's getting from that 2.4 percent down to 2 percent is that's the stubborn inflation that that Steve was talking about that's where it's going to take a lot more work
0: And that month-to-month is the thing that's going to drive us all mad, right? That when we look at, well, it was 2.4, and now it's 2.7, and then it's 2.3, and you go, well, can't we just get that straight line back down to 2? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, in part because there's a lot of noise within the goods that are priced in that basket, whether you're looking at the headline that includes food costs and energy costs, which are all over the map month-to-month, or whether you're just looking at the core there still are a variety of pieces, even in the core index, that remain volatile enough that we don't we don't put that much stock unless it's a drastic shift one way or another in that single month's report. It really is about the broader direction, the broader trend, and trying to string together, you know months of inflation, but lower inflation, right? The rate of inflation coming back down. That tells us that the Fed remains on the right track. Here. And
4: then getting back to the consumer sentiment, consumer confidence, it's not only um, inflation itself, how fast prices are rising, it's how we feel about it. You know, I, I was reading a, a couple of pieces this week on shrinkflation, on how you know manufacturers have been shrinking their packaging and still charging the same amount and uh, interesting stuff because actually there's less shrinkflation now than there was before uh, the pandemic. Um, There was more of that going on then than there is now. But, uh, but people are noticing it more now. And one of the reasons that works is because people tend to look at prices and not the size of the package they're
3: buying. So You're talking about like potato chips at the store, right? Because exactly. there are less of those in a bag than ever before. There's more air. About?
4: Yeah, there's more air and fewer chips. Yeah. <laughs> but we do
0: also have to point out that those things are captured in the inflation number. Right. Because the calculation for inflation isn't just what does that bag of chips cost, it also looks at what's in the bag of chips. I
3: mean, I was and kind so of joking, but I'm also kind of serious no, there. completely. My yeah. kids were not happy when they opened up the bag I brought home this past weekend.
4: <laughs> but what's not captured is if you use cheaper potatoes to make those <laughs> chips, right? They're that, still potato chips, so are that's are not captured. Are the smaller? There. <laughs> <laughs> that could happen too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and again, in all seriousness, these are uh, these are the consequences of an inflationary environment that ran a little hotter than it needed to for a while, and businesses are finding ways to continue to capture consumers. But increasingly, as we've talked about on this show and as has been written about, businesses are starting to lose the pricing power that they had a year ago. As more and more consumers believe that inflation is coming under control, they're going to be less willing to put up with those price increases. And so either you got to get much more creative and much more productive to continue to drive earnings, or as businesses, you have to start to accept the fact that well, maybe I'm not going to get that huge margin I got a year ago, and maybe I do have to give back a little bit uh, in the form of discounts or coupons or just uh, filling that potato chip bag to the top instead of pumping it full of air.
4: As investors, we want companies to make money, but as consumers, we want our potato chips.
0: Always two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Um, You know, I think the other piece in the economic news this week was some of the housing data and just how Uh, challenged uh, the housing market is as rates remain high, prices remain high, uh, inventory as a whole not nearly as uh, robust as we would hope, Um, and I think just how critical the interest rate conversation continues to be in trying to figure out how we navigate a housing market that remains uh, quite challenged.
4: Well, one interesting dynamic, and you pointed this out on something that uh, the communication you passed around this morning, but um, how the, the new housing market is becoming more important because there isn't as much inventory for the existing housing market, but there are a lot of new houses that have been and are being built. So um, the the new housing market is actually becoming um, more important to the overall Uh, housing market. So in in the year right now, we're looking at maybe 4 million existing houses being sold and 661,000 new homes. So 661,000 is a lot smaller than 4 million. But um, because there are so many new houses on the market, um, more people are considering buying those because they can't find an existing house. So it'll be interesting to see how those dynamics play out.
3: I am fascinated to see what kind of the housing market looks like now and in the future, because I've talked with a few, I mean, I'd say half a dozen, that they're looking at starting retirement homes, whether it be like um, northern Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, and they're not talking about buying a home up there. They're talking about buying land and building, but they're not talking about building like the traditional home that we have. They're These container homes that you see at a place where you get these old shipping containers, stack them up, and they come in and build them. Or just putting like a tiny home on their lot and then doing stuff with the lot. I, Again, I've talked to probably about half a dozen clients that have mentioned this to me. And if they're doing it, I think there's going to be some trickle down, maybe with like some of the younger generation that you hear them talk about, well, we're never going to own a home because my grandparents bought their house for four raspberries and a library book. I can't afford that. So I'm going to go try and buy something else or do something else with it. And maybe they don't want the massive lake home or the McMansion, they want something different. So I'm very curious to see, I mean, I don't think that'll happen this year, but kind of where the housing trend goes into the future a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think these unique problems certainly call for unique solutions. And um, as I look at uh, the amount of need that's out there, it's clear that we need more solutions to these problems. Um, Joel, you mentioned the article that I had referenced in an earlier in a communication I sent out earlier to the staff. And it was uh, the thing that struck me most was not the numbers of new versus existing, it was the percentage, right? That in a typical year, eight to nine percent of homes that are sold are new homes, uh, And that's pushing maybe thirteen or fourteen percent right now. And so when you think at the scale of um, you know the the housing market and what's being sold, it's not because there's that many new homes being sold, it's because there's just fewer hands overall changing hands. Um, and then, you know, to Mike's point, you have all these new solutions coming in that are filling that kind of new home void uh, in ways that maybe we didn't consider when a home costs four raspberries in a library book. <laughs> um, we have a newsletter hopefully coming out this afternoon. Um, some, I think, critical communication uh, that we're trying to get out on a regular basis on ways to prevent scams, ways to prevent fraud. Um, the unfortunate reality, uh, Joel, is that we see this more and more with our clients. We see this more and more with our family and friends, um, where they're being pulled into uh, all kinds of uh, money grabs from, uh, from, from bad actors, from people that uh, have no interest in doing anything other than scamming them. And um, you in this newsletter have included... Uh, another warning for, for investors on, you know, something else to watch out for. Yeah,
4: it, I mean, it's just a reminder that a lot of these scamsters are uh, are opportunistic. So, you know, right now you're seeing a lot of um, IRS imposters of, of trying to scare people because it's tax time and trying to get money from them or uh, personal identification numbers or... Uh, personal information that they can use to get other things. Um, you know, last month, February, with uh, Valentine's Day, we saw a lot of romance scams. So there's always something, and it's just you know we we put these reminders out there. We there's no way we could ever warn people of all the things that are going on because they're always reinventing them themselves. So they're they're really clever, but it's just a way to to remind people to be alert
0: and be skeptical, right? That. Um, if something's being brought to you that e- even you believe even that seems like yeah this this could be something that's really happening it's never a never a bad idea to talk to people that you trust to let them know what you're thinking of doing with your money so that they can maybe poke some holes in why it might not be the best idea and it could be somebody that you think you've known for years um, that's trying to take advantage of you and if you, you know, have that trust built up over time, and especially early on that trust built up, well, now you've got this hurdle you have to overcome to to be the one that thinks with the skeptical hat on. And so, um, you know, that's what we're here for, to help kind of walk through is this a reasonable request? Is this something that someone would really be looking for? Would they really be asking me for money to pay the attorneys so that they can settle the estate so that then I can share in the profits? Would would the IRS really be reaching out to me via a phone call to tell me that they're just gonna take money from my bank if I don't respond? The answers in both cases are, these probably aren't legitimate things, Um, but on the off chance that they are, at least talk to somebody about kind of what your your concerns might be and we don't share yeah and,
4: and don't give in to urgency anybody who's saying you have to make this decision you have to do this right now there's there's that old saying a fool and his money are soon parted don't don't make it soon you know think about it and as you say talk to other people and take your time
1: and I think this is a great um, <clears throat> opportunity to remind our clients and our listeners that we do not act on email instructions it's too easy to hack somebody's email uh, we We'll pick up the phone and call you to confirm if you want that money or if the request that you're asking over email uh, is indeed what you're asking. And and even if it is you asking, which it most of the time is, did you miss a comma? Uh, there's a big difference between $10,000 uh, and a $100,000 withdrawal. So verbal confirmation is required here.
0: Yeah, I think just critical reminders always. And one of the things I think that is most important about what we do is the education piece. Um, that's part of what this is. It's part of what that newsletter is. If you aren't signed up for the newsletter, I encourage you to reach out and uh, and get it in into your inbox every month. Um, if you know someone that might benefit from that, it'd be our honor to get them signed up as well. We just need their permission. So please reach out. Um, as always, we enjoy doing the program for you. We will talk to you again next week.
2: Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis.
0: If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our moneytalk page at landis.com.